welcome to another episode of the Kick and Cover podcast. Uh, we have a special guest today, uh, Hugh Kerwin from uh, Keystone College. He's the wide receivers coach at Keystone. Coach, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Coach. I, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, you know, just right off the bat, I want to thank you. I think one of the things that I, I think really highlighted our profession is what you're doing, uh, uh, allowing guys to come on and share. And I think even though it's about as competitive as it could be, you know, you facilitating these types of conversations, I think are awesome. So I appreciate you allowing me to be a part of it. Well, no problem, coach. And, and as I kind of told you before we kind of came on, I love my Keystone guys. Like coach uh, Dom is, is, probably one of my favorite people I've gotten to know during this kind of um, pandemic. Um, I've had your OC on once. Um, I've chit-chat with a couple other coaches on there. I, not since filmed, but, I mean, I think Dom did enough filming for your entire staff at one point. So, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, and I, like I said, and I, and as I tell coaches all the time that come on here or on any of my stuff is, I have no problem promoting good people and good programs. And you guys are kind of an up and coming program starting new. Your head coach is doing some good stuff there. So like I said, I, I have no problem. Um, so for coaches who, who not got a chance to know you or meet you or talk to you, do you want to kind of explain your background and how you ended up at Keystone? Yeah, no doubt. So I'll try to keep that brief because I'm sure most guys aren't here to necessarily hear about where I'm from, but I, I am from New Jersey originally. Uh, played my college football at Marist College up in Poughkeepsie, New York. Uh, you know, had some awesome years there, met a lot of great people. And that's really where I started to really lock in that, you know, football was going to be, you know, my life. Uh, after that, cool experience, went back to the high school I played at in uh, Bergen County, Pasek Hills, and got to coach with the coach who coached me. And that's kind of uh, an awesome experience because you get to get on the other side of the curtain and, you know, you go from uh, having the best ideas in the world as a player and then you start to see why exactly, you know, the head guy was making some of those tough calls. And, you know, I think I did a lot of growing there. Uh, after that, went down to Florida for three years, worked in special education and coached high school football down there. Uh, and that's probably where I'd say I did most of my growing. Uh, from a coach's standpoint, I got the opportunity to be special teams coordinator down there um, at a 7A school. And, you know, really, really good players, really good people on staff that I was able to, you know, learn from and steal from and, you know, bounce ideas off of. And then uh, last year ended up coming up here and you talked a little bit about Keystone College, uh, the types of guys that are here. And, you know, it'll tie into my talk a little bit, but that's a big reason why I came to where I'm at now is, you know, it's, it's top-notch people. Yeah. Uh, so I've been lucky along the way to work with some, some great people from, you know, as a player, then through my coaching uh, journey and just excited to be here now building this thing with these guys. Well, that's awesome coach. And um, I, I'm always curious because my head, my, my former head coach now, cause he's no longer here um, is coached in, coached in Florida for a year. Um, what was kind of that experience like? And uh, you said that's where you kind of learned and grew the most. What, what do you kind of attribute to that growth? Well, I mean, I think there's a couple of things that go into that. Number one is the first time I got, you know, full reins as a coordinator uh, on, from a special teams perspective. So the best way to learn is by doing. Uh, you get to make some of those mistakes that you make uh, as a young coach and then as a coordinator. But I think the, the thing that – 
Florida presented in terms of opportunity wise, especially at the, the, the place I was coaching is you get players who can do basically anything. I mean, they're really talented young, young men. So you got to find out what they do best and then put them in those situations to do best. But you can't fall for that low hanging fruit of, man, we can do anything. So let's do everything. You got to kind of find out who you're going to be and then stick with that and get really good at those things and, you know, still put those guys in a position to be successful. But there's a couple, you know, your core values or whatever you're going to hang your hat on scheme wise. And you got to really, really get good at those things. Yeah, I, I agree. And um, kind of, I mean, I, I say that a lot about a couple, I think, and I had this conversation the other day, and, and actually by the time this comes out, I will have written kind of an article on it for Coach Anthony Stone, is um, there, if you don't learn from every place and every event and every coach that you work for, there's a problem. Um, and, and it's not always going to be good things. Like sometimes you're learning not to do something, um, but it's a learning experience. Um, and I think and that's, and I said all the time, I've learned something from every coach I had and every opportunity that I've gotten. And, um, that's a way for us to grow and develop as coaches. Um, just like doing these, like, I mean, I don't make really any money doing this. I get a couple cents here from there from YouTube, but I mean, what I get out of this is the relationships, the connections and to be able to learn, uh, from people who, um, are vastly smarter than me most of the time or have ex extremely more experience, like talking to Coach Rapone the other day who's got 37 years in college football. He knows some stuff. It'd be, it'd be ignorant of me not to listen to him. So um, kind of with that, I'm going to kind of let you get started. Um, kind of like I've done like really the pat by the time this one posts, most of these last like 10 or so, it's I'm going to let my guests kind of talk, and I'll kind of add my bad – sense of humor where I need to add it and uh, the occasional question. But again, coach, I, I thank you for coming on and let, let's talk some special teams. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, coach. Uh, so what I thought I'd do today um, is really draw from my experience down in Florida as a as special teams coordinator, and then more specifically talk about the process that we used in terms of preparing for special teams from a year round basis and then streamlining it and narrowing that down by the time you got it to the players. Because I think, you know, when you're looking at special teams, one of the first things that I think jumps out to everybody is you need to be really efficient. You know, you're not going to get 45, 50 minutes of, you know, indie group and then teamwork like you will as offense and defensive coaches. Um, so when you get time as a special teams coordinator, there's a couple of things that you really need to, to do well you need to be prepared you need to have every second planned out you need to have uh guys on staff who believe in special teams and and, and kind of understand its value and, and back you in that and, and contribute uh on a day-to-day -day basis and for a while i would say special teams preparation um and i i just i didn't love that that idea you know i when i think of special teams I think of readiness uh, and by definition, the term readiness means being uh, in a state, in a state of being fully prepared to do something. 
And that's what I think of when I, when I think of special teams. So whether it's first quarter, fourth quarter, whether it's things are going really well or things are going really poorly, your guys need to be ready at the drop of a hat to go out there and get a job done. And it's, it's, it's different than offense and defense um, in, the, in the fact that, you know, you might get three plays offensively, get a first down, continue on. You might get three plays defensively, get a stop, get a turnover. But on special teams, you're getting one kick. You know, you're not getting a, a second opportunity. So you need to be able to present information to your guys uh, where they can be completely ready to go do a job. And that's where I kind of came up with special teams readiness. And I think that's, you know, I think of it almost like a quick reaction force. You know, if you were thinking in terms of military, like guys who are, they're ready to go. You know, when you call their name, they're flying on the field and they're, they're ready to get the job. All right. So before I get going into actually the preparation part from a coach's standpoint, I think this is really important. I think whether you're coaching, a, a, a you're coordinating a special teams or you're coaching your unit or you're talking to an individual player, or even if you're just working on yourself, you need to know who you're going to be before you know what you're going to do. So, for example, on the first day that I get that I would get the punt team together, I wouldn't say, you know, we're the punt team. That's not who we are. Uh, what I would say is we're a group of individuals who are going to come together. We're going to be unbelievably focused. We're going to be unbelievably detailed. And we're going to have unbelievable effort uh, to put the team in a position to be successful. And then what are we going to do? We're going to kick the ball. And then we're going to go down and cover but being a punt team isn't who we are. That's what we do. So three questions that I would always ask, and you know, I, I try to stay on top of this for myself as well, is uh, how are we going to do what we do? Why are we going to do it that way? And then what is our motivation? And I would sit down with the kids and we'd actually ask these questions and then we'd answer them. So how are we going to do what we do? We're going to do it with our best effort. Why are we going to do it that way? Because the guy next to me is counting on me to do it that way. What is our motivation to, to, to prepare well enough to be able to execute the job to help the team be successful? And then what are we going to do? Now you get into, you know, we're, we're a five-by-five five kickoff team or we're a spread punt or a pro punt. Or we're going to motion people. We're going to go after blocks on punt return, whatever that might be. That's what you're going to do, and it's really important but I don't think that's where you start, right? I think you start with who you're going to be. Uh, and I think that's important. Like I said, regardless of what you're doing in coaching, I think you better have that squared away before you move on. All right. So getting started, uh, these are three things that I think are really important as you start to kind of build what you're going to do and what you're going to present to the kids when the time does come. And, you know, first and foremost starts with belief and value. So they got to believe in what you're doing. Uh, they got to believe that you're really prepared and the information you're giving to them uh, is, is going to be information that's going to help them get the job done. And then they got to value special teams. You know, like I said, it's not, not that it gets overlooked, uh, but I do think, you know, it, sometimes you gotta, you gotta really sit down with kids and, and teach them the value of special teams to the overall success of the team. So I think that's really important right there. You gotta, you gotta have belief, and they gotta value special teams, and that's not just the players; that's the coaches as well. You gotta have every coach on staff in lockstep that you know we're gonna value special teams, uh, and when it's time to get work done on special teams, everybody's involved, uh, and everybody is you know kind of singing the same tune. 
Now, this is, I think, really important. So cast a wide net, serve a small fish. What I mean by that is, and we're going to go through it, but when you're preparing, uh, you know, for an opponent or for the upcoming season, you know, there's a lot of questions that you need to get answered as the as special teams coordinator. Um, and, and they're all very important. But by the time you get it to your kids, it has to be consolidated into something that they can digest it very quickly and understand what their job and role is. Uh, I think that's really important. Like I said, because you're not going to get the time that, you know, offensively and defensively that they're going to get. You're going to be, uh, you know, working in a, in a little bit of a tighter window. So the information you need to give needs to be the most important information that's going to help them get their job done. And that kind of ties into be clear, make sure that there's no gray area, be concise, make sure that they can hear it and repeat it back to you and know it uh, sideways and backwards. And this is the most important one, be passionate about it. You know, you got to, you got to be passionate about the information you're giving them. You got to be passionate about uh, how you're going to execute it and and what's going to go into making sure that you guys can get it down the right way. So those three things, when you're getting started, I think those are really important uh, to think about as you start to prepare. All right. So preseason here's, I did this every year. Uh, I think this is helpful. Uh, Roster evaluation. In my mind, there's three categories when you, when you break up your roster, you got the high effort guys, um those are your warriors those are the guys those guys are squared away they love special teams uh you know you're getting their absolute best effort those are the guys that you should be building around um and you know they're they're no concern but you should still identify uh because you're going to need those guys then i got you you're going to have swing guys on every roster there's a group of guys who you know they're hard workers uh they're 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 team guys but you know, maybe they don't understand quite as clearly how important special teams is. And you might need to sit down with those guys and, you know, have those conversations about, you know, here's, here's why it's important and here's why we need you. And you need to get them and kind of move them up into that high effort category. You need to start filling that with some swing guys. Um, and then project guys, this is probably going to be your smallest uh, group. If you got a lot of guys on this uh, part of your list, probably got a lot of problems but project guys i would say are you know they're really talented uh they're good kids but they're not bought in the way they need to be and and and, you know they're you know as a coach that their talents uh you know are needed on the special teams units uh, so you need to work on them and getting them involved and getting them to buy into what you're doing but at the same time, you can't sacrifice these top two categories for the project guys. You know, you got to do your best, you know, and coach your hardest to get those guys to buy in. But at the same time, I think because of the nature of special teams, you can't have anybody out there who takes away from the group. Uh, and, you know, like I said, this list is generally not going to be a big one. But, you know, it's important to identify, you know, if you got a, a kid who can, who can really be dangerous – whether it be a returner or being able to block kicks or, you know, go down and cover kicks, you want to get that guy on your unit. But at the same time, it's, it's got to be done the right way. So oh, here's an important two right here. I think as you go through the preseason, one of the things you really want to do is you want to find similarities of the people you're going to play, common opponents, and then you're going to want to find things that they do that are a little bit odd. So the similarities are helpful because, 
that kind of cuts down on your week to week in preparation. Because if I know that a team in the area or a team in the conference does something very similar to me on punt, they do something very similar to us on, you know, punt return or whatever it might be. You know, I know I got to go watch that game. So as you start to prepare and think about what games you want to watch, you know, knowing that certain teams do similar things to you, I think it just cuts down on that searching for stuff and you can kind of streamline your information and and know where, you know, you're going to see what you're going to see. Evaluation, find the oddities. That basically means stuff that they do that's funky. Are they a group that runs a lot of fakes? Do they have a kicker who can put it all over the field and that they do that? Do they, you know, do a lot of shifts or, um, you know, things, things of that nature where, you know, a swinging gate where, you know, it's going to take extra time during the week preparation wise to get ready for that. Because anything that's going to cut into your normal routine, you need to be prepared for. And the sooner you can start looking at that and getting a game plan ready, uh, I think is really important. And then you got to establish unit goals, whatever those goals are going to be. Uh, you know, I'll give you one example for me when I was, uh, you know, working with punt return and kick return, it was, we're going to catch every catchable kick. You know, we're not going to lose field position uh, because we're not catching kicks. And then once you make it a goal, you also have to make it an emphasis so that you guys are, uh, you know, you can go out and achieve it. You got to give the kids the tools to go achieve those goals. All right. So week to week and I'll, I'll, after this, I'll go into, kind of unit by unit, you know, the things that we were looking for that I found were really important. Uh, But this is every week. These were questions that I had to have answered. Uh, These are things that I thought, you know, regardless of the opponent's scheme, regardless of what they did well, what they didn't do well, I thought that answering these things was important and that it would help with uh, our ability to be successful come game day. So, Find the weak link on punt and punt return on punt. That being, uh, you know, do you, do you have a guy on, on the on the opposite punt return unit who's who's lazy, who's not getting in out of his stance, who's not paying attention? Is that something that you can take advantage of in terms of your fake game? Um, and then on punt return, you know, who's who's a guy that you can you can get after in the blocking? You know, however you know you want to scheme that up. Is there a guy on that punt unit? Um, you know, who, who's lazy with his steps, who's, you know, you feel like you could overwhelm him with, uh, you know, two rushers, or is there a guy in the shield who turns his shoulders when he gets outside pressure? Stuff like that, I think you need to identify. Same deal, find the stud. If there's a returner who can hurt you, or if there's a pump block guy who can hurt you and you need to game plan it, um, you, you need to go find him and you need to do it, I think, right away because those are game changers. If you got a returner who can really, really hurt you, uh, and if you got a guy who can come and block your punt, you better be prepared. All right. And if you need to change what you do or tweak something to make sure that you know you're you can account for that guy, uh, then you need to do it. Find two-way starters. This is something I, I learned this the hard way actually, uh, because it, it happened to me. We had a guy who was a phenomenal player, great kid, a high effort guy. Uh, but he was a two-way starter for us at Riverdale. Um, offensively, defensively, got a lot of reps. And uh, in 2018, in our playoff game, they overwhelmed him in the at the end of the first half and blocked the punt. It kind of changed the course of the game. 
So you talked about, you know, always being able to learn and grow. You got to also be able to eat some humble pie too, I think at times. And that was definitely one that, you know, I, I, I watched that clip probably more than I should have. Uh, but that was my takeaway was they found the two way starter whose legs were gassed and they did something they hadn't done all year and they overwhelmed them and they blocked a punt and it ended up being a, a pretty big play in the game. This is, I think really important. I think you got to draw up every single look on punt and punt return. That's where you find those similarities, uh, guys who are doing something similar to what you're doing. Uh, and you got to draw them up because then you're going to start to get a picture of, you know, what these guys are actually going to do based on where they are in the field, uh, based on, you know, the situation that they're in um, and how they're going to handle. If you're a team that likes to flex people out on, on you know, shield punt or uh, motion people, you're going to start to get a, a clear picture of how they're going to handle that. And then I'd always look for unusual plays on kickoff. Like I said, if they got a, uh, a kicker who's, who can really put the ball around the field, um, and then KOR, I think you draw up their base looks. I, not something that, you know, I, I don't think you ever want to reinvent the wheel on those two units, but still obviously important to be prepared. You want to get your kick averages, right? So I talked about one of our goals was catch every catchable kick. Part of that is giving them the tools to go do that. So, you know, finding out where they're going to kick it, uh, what direction they're going to kick it, you know, and then being able to present that to your returners, I think helps them get an idea of, you know, where they're going to need to be. Um, and then I, this is big one, identify any possibilities for fakes. And that's on both sides of it, whether it's a fake you're planning on running or something that they've shown in the past, um, you know, a skill guy in the shield, you got to, uh, you know, KOR guys who are bailing out and you got a kicker who can, who can really squib quick, squib kick that thing. Maybe that's something you want to look to do. Um, you know, punt return team, like I said, that's lazy, you know, all things that, you know, I think you should identify whether it's, you know, something they're worried, you're worried about them doing to you, or, uh, maybe a, an area that you think you can, you know, steal a big play from throughout the course of the game. So that's a, that's week to week. That's, you know, we got to have those, those questions answered. All right, punt. This is how I broke it down. I broke it into three slots. Basically, you know, in college, these numbers will change a little bit, but I think in high school, uh, in general, this will give you a pretty clear picture of, you know, where they're going to kick it and how they're going to do, how they're going to, uh, sorry, how they're going to line up. Are they going to come try to block the kick or are they going to hold up and, and, and try to get a re good return? So, you know, I draw up every punt return look that they gave uh, when they had teams pinned, which is for me, your own goal line to the 20, uh, the swing part of the field, which is the 21 to the opposite 46, where, you know, you got a, you got a chance to flip the field. Um, and then, you know, where you have a chance to pin them where, you know, you're, you're, you've now crossed the 50, um, but you're still in an area that, you know, if you punt the ball, you can pin them deep. So those are, I think, you know, things that you need to look at it, you know, how do they line up? What are their tendencies? And this last one I think is incredibly important. When are they most aggressive? You need to be prepared regardless. But, you know, if, if they're a team that likes to come after kicks when your back's against the wall, uh, it, it'll be pretty clear as you watch the film and you start to draw it up. If they're a hold-up team uh, in certain parts of the field, you know, the more you draw that stuff up, the, the more the clearer the picture is going to be. And then you can kind of prepare your guys for that mentally, you know, where you can say, hey, listen, if we're punting and our back's against the wall, they're coming. So don't be early to get out and cover 
you need to make sure that you're doing your job. Um, on punt, always identify their most dangerous block guy. You know, I would say most of the time you're not going to game plan and make tweaks on, you know, your rules on punt. You know, I think it's really important, especially on the punt unit, to be consistent as possible uh, in your rules. But if there's a guy who's just he's really a problem and you feel like him being a free runner through the A-gap on spread punt is is a bad deal for the Shield guys, then maybe you do have to, you know, change the direction of how you, you're sending your frontline guys or maybe change the number scheme. But like I said, that's something that, you know, you're not going to do often. It's something that if you, you know, you feel like this kid's a game changer and you need to account for him, then maybe you game plan. And then, uh, you know, how, how dangerous is their returner? Does he catch it in traffic? You know, are they good at hold up? Can they keep our guys at the line of scrimmage? Um, and, and do we need to think about where we're going to punt this ball? Or are we just going to let our punter, you know, cut loose and, you know, kick it right or kick it left, depending on where we're on the field. So I think those are really important on a week to week basis. And then this is just, this is how I draw it up. So I'll put, you know, I don't worry about being on the 15 or the five I'll put, you know, your backs against the wall and, you know, this is how they're going to line up. And then, you know, maybe you're in a swing part of the field. This is how they're going to line up. But I think it's important that you, you draw out all those looks because I think it'll help, you know, prepare you to be able to get that information to the kids. Uh, punt return, you know, I'm going to look at base alignment. You know, what type of, what type of scheme are they? Personnel. So do they have skill guys in the shield or, you know, semi-skill guys in the shield, or do they have big old linemen who can't run and tackle? Because that's something that in the past we've looked at. And if they got three old linemen who are, you know, 315 pounds, uh, we might not block them. You know, if, if we got our best athlete catching the ball, um, you know, and we feel like he can make them miss an open field, you know, we're going to make sure that they kick it. But once they do, you know, we're going to go look to pick somebody off rather than block the, you know, the big old lineman who, who probably is going to have a tough time tackling in space. So uh, another thing to look at is their punter athletic, right? Start to get a feel for that because if he's athletic, then, you know, the, the door opens for fakes, obviously. Uh, and, you know, that's something you need to be paying attention to. Kick average and location. You know, I think everybody should have a kick chart. However you want to uh, mark it up. You know, I do left hash, right hash, middle of the field. Um, and then distance. So if he's kicking from the right hash, what's his average distance? And then where is that ball mostly landing? Does he keep it on the right side of the field? Does he push it to the middle? Does he go all the way across the field? And how often? And then that can kind of start to get your guys prepared uh, in terms of where they're lining up from a returner standpoint. Again, find that weak link, right? I, I'm not a big game plan block guy because I, I think it takes a lot of time. Um, but if there's something that you feel like you can really take advantage of, my suggestion would be sit down with your defensive coordinator uh, and talk about how he would take advantage of it from a, from a pressure standpoint um, or come, with, come to him with some ideas of you know, how you're planning on attacking this and let him pick it apart and, and see where you know, either it's good to go, square away, or maybe it needs work. And you know that week isn't the week to pull that out. So like I said, not often going to, game plan block but like i said if there's if there's an opportunity you know it's definitely worth exploring now, uh, coach, go ahead for, for that block part do you, do you kind of look at um um kind of their punt to kick, oh, snap to kick time would that be a big factor for you in that i think 
I think that's one of the biggest factors. I think if they're a team that's catching and kicking it in two seconds or less, you're probably going to have a really hard time blocking the punt. Um, now we're going to, you know, generally we would still go after it because we had an aggressive nature in terms of punt return. Um, but if it's a kid who's having trouble getting that thing back there and, you know, it's taken well over two seconds, we'll, then I think that's definitely something to consider in terms of maybe you send an extra guy or two that week. Okay. Thank you, coach. No doubt. All right. Kick off. So, you know, I think when you break up how you're going to prepare for special teams, like I said, every single, everything counts, everything matters. But as you get into certain parts of the special teams, you got to start to think about how you're going to allot the time. Um, and, and kickoff and kickoff return were things where, for me, I felt like it was best to get really, really good at a couple of things and not really change too much stuff for the guys. So for kickoff, we were going to find out what their base shell is. We're going to find out if they're front line guys, do they bail? And if they bail and we got a kicker who we feel like can swim it and we can steal a possession, you know, that's a conversation you have with the head coach. Um, and then are there tight ends and fullbacks athletic? You know, we ran into uh, a couple situations where, you know, we had some decently athletic tight ends and fullbacks and we had some dangerous returners. Um, and we had teams that would, you know, sky kick it and we were still able to get some good returns because we had some athletic guys at those positions. So, you know, if they have a really dangerous returner um, and you want to sky kick it, my advice would be don't sky kick it uh, to the, to the 35, 40 into a, a kid who's also a, a really good athlete. Um, you know, so I, I think you got to evaluate the pros and cons to that. Uh, who's the most dangerous returner. Ideally, if you can keep it away from him, that's the best thing to do, but here's how I think you, you got to spend some time on this thinking, but are they better than our tacklers? I think the, 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 you know, knee jerk reaction a lot of times when you watch film, um, and you see a kid bust one is, man, I'm not kicking into that kid. Well, once you say that, you start changing who you are. Um, you need to evaluate, is that kid and their unit better than our tacklers? If you feel like that's the case, then maybe you change where you kick it. But I don't think that should be the knee-jerk reaction where, um, you know, because a kid is dangerous, you're going you're gonna to pooch kick it or you're going to sky kick it or uh, squib kick it. I think you really need to evaluate – you know, can my guys go down there and make a tackle on this kid? And if they if they can, then you need to have confidence in them. And my advice would be to go ahead and kick it deep and go cover. So those are some of the things that, you know, we're looking for from a kickoff standpoint. And we're going to start to build uh, what we do off of that. Now, Coach, for your kickoff, did you more change where you kicked instead of how you aligned? Did you ever adjust your alignment at all? Did it ever factor going 6-4 to one side or – Adjusting like we would, splits. We would change. So we would, we always kicked it from the hash uh, and we would change what hash we kicked it off of. We had a, a, a young kicker down there who was a talented kid. Uh, and it was kind of a situation where, you know, he gave us the ability uh, to be a little bit more flexible with how we covered. But in general, our rules were always going to be the same. And I can tell you, we didn't very, very seldomly did we not kick it deep and we went against some, some really dangerous returners. Um, and there was times where maybe it would have been better suited to not kick it deep, but we felt like the guys that we had on that unit were good enough to go run down and make a play. 
and more often than not, um, you know, they, they succeeded in that. So we did tweak sometimes, you know, how we were going to line up or, you know, if we thought that they were counting our guys on the, on the way down, you know, we might twist one or two spots just to try to throw them off a little bit and get a free runner. Um, but for the most part, you know, on kickoff and, and kickoff return, we try to be, uh, I don't want to say vanilla, but do a couple of things yeah. and, and do them really well. So the kids wouldn't have to have to use too much of their, uh, you know, thinking on, on those two units, because like I said, we wanted to, where we really felt like we were going to play the game was on punt and punt return. Not that those two other two aren't important, but like I said, we wanted to make sure that we were squared away uh, and getting really good at a few things on those units. All right. So kickoff return uh, again, I think you need to come up with a kick chart, you know, give your guys an opportunity to see where the ball is, where the ball is landing. Uh, and you can use the same philosophy. If they kick it from the middle of the field, where does he put it? If he's a left hash kicker, if he's a right hash kicker. Uh, and then you also really want to spend some time looking at how versatile is their kicker. You know, you don't want to give up a possession on uh, kickoff return because you weren't prepared from a frontline standpoint or a tight ends and fullback standpoint. You know, if they got to hold their ground a half second longer because you're going against a kicker who can kind of pick and choose where he wants to put it, uh, so be it. You know, the, the biggest thing is to, to catch the kick and make sure that the offense has an opportunity to put the drive together. Um, again, ball placement. And then one of the other things we looked for was, uh, you know, are they going to twist on their way down the field? And if they twisted, uh, how would it affect our blocking scheme? If it, if it, you know, was something that we could square away relatively easily, um, then we wouldn't worry about it too much. We, you know, make them aware of it. But, you know, if it was something where, you know, it was going to really change the, the fundamental scheme of the return, uh, then, you know, that was something that we'd have to spend more time on that week. So hey, I think those are important right there. How often did you see a twist? Because we don't see a lot up here. How often did you see one while you were in Florida? I wouldn't say often. Uh, I think a lot of times you might see it um, from the outside, you know, a one or a three uh, twisting on the outside of the, of the coverage. Uh, and then now a lot of times what you'll get is you'll get guys who – we're going to spill guys who are going to, you know, bracket uh, the returner and that might change their lane, which, you know, it might not be a twist by design, but it'll end up that way that they, they might, you know, be a guy who's gone into the left side of the returner. And then there's a guy who's gone into the right side of the returner uh, and it might change up the numbers as they go down the field. But I, I don't think twisting was something that, you know, it was, wasn't something we saw, uh, you know, a week to week basis, but I think it's something to be aware of because, you know, if it's going to change there, if you're a team that counts and it's, you're going to change your count, you know, you definitely want to make your guys aware of that so that they're yeah. prepared when it does happen to be able to either exchange or, you know, s stay with their assignment. So, okay. So postseason, you know, this is, I think really important um, part of it as well. You know, looking back, number one, you want to reflect on the numbers. You know, did you did you meet your did you meet your goals? Um, and what is the, what what story does the numbers tell? You know, uh, I, I harp on this a lot, but you know, one of the the stats that I always find most interesting when you break it down at the end of the season is how many yards were gained or lost uh, when the ball hit the floor. So on punt return on on balls that you didn't catch for one reason or the other, whether they were catchable or not, how many total yards at the end of the season 
uh, did that affect your offense? How many more yards did your offense have to go that year uh, because the ball hit the ground? And yeah. I think that's usually a pretty eye-popping number depending on you know how many kicks uh, you were able to catch. Um, expectation versus reality. Were your goals realistic? Now, that's kind of a double-edged sword because – you know, I think if you set high standards for your guys, your guys are more often than not going to meet those standards if you give them the resources and the time to, to, to do that. Um, so not necessarily that you want to pull back on your goals, but, you know, sometimes maybe you do have to tweak them, you know, make them a little bit more realistic and something that we can accomplish. Um, and then something that I think you always want to look at, what did you do well? And, you know, where do you need to improve? You know, uh, self-reflection at that time of the year is really important. You know, do I need to tweak things? Uh, do I need to be more versatile on, on kickoff, kickoff return? Um, and, you know, where did I do things really well? And, you know, how am I going to continue to build off that? So I think, you know, those types of things are super important as well uh, as you look back through uh, at the end of the season. You know, how did you do? Uh, where can you improve? And where can you continue to build off of, you know, I think are, are, are super, super important things is, you know, you start to prepare then the following year as it continues to grow and, you know, you start to evaluate your roster. I think you need to answer those questions first. So that's the, uh, that's the last slide right there. But I think, you know, the biggest piece of advice I could get is, um, you know, as you start to answer all these questions, you know, you, like I said, when you get it to your team, and your players, you know, they need to be able to digest it really quickly. You know, they need the most important information that's going to allow them to do their job at the highest capability. Uh, and if you can do that and you're passionate about it um, and you've got good people around you on staff who are also passionate about it and you're talking about it on a day-to-day -day basis, you'll be in pretty good shape. Now, Coach, a um, couple things real quick before we wrap this up. Um, how long did the – actual number crunching postseason evaluation take you it takes a while i mean it does it, it you know if you can enlist some help from some other guys on staff that's a great thing but um it does take a little bit you know counting those yards especially you know figuring out where that ball hit where the drive started and then compiling those totals you know i think you always want to look at how many penalties you got how did that affect you know whether it be the offense or defensive starting position um, so it is a, it's a time consuming endeavor, but at the same time, it, it, it's, I think it's worth it when you start to look at that and put the picture together. And it also gives you an opportunity, you know, as you watch that and watch it closer and closer, um, you know, you, you'll start to see where you really need to work on it. You know, maybe where you fell short a little bit. Now, when you, now, when you did your like post after you looked at those numbers and stuff at that point, how much of it did you look at was how it was taught in terms of in the classroom, on the field and drills. How much did you look at it as, okay, I need to adjust my scheme here or there, or how much um, did you realize, okay, maybe these players weren't in the right position and I need to put them in a different spot on this team ABC. Yeah, I think there's, I mean, I think there's a lot of takeaways. Um, when you do look at the numbers, I think one of the things that'll jump out to you is, you know, I'm a guy who keeps the, my practice plans because I like to look back on them and see how we're using our time. So if I see somewhere where, you know, we're falling short, maybe we're holding a lot on punt return or, you know, we couldn't block a kick or, uh, 
you know, we're dropping a lot of kicks. And then you look back and you start to compare, you know, here's where I fell short and here's the time I allotted to that. And if they're not matching up, um, you either either need to, you know, change what you're doing or you need to add more time to it. And more often than not, you know, when I would see, you know, whatever, whatever area that, you know, I thought we really need to improve in. Um, and then I look back at the practice plans. There's usually going to be a correlation between, you know, maybe I need to spend more time on this classroom setting. I need to spend more time on this and in individual, uh, I need to really hammer this in the spring or I need to really hammer this in preseason um, so that you can get it right going forward, whether it's, you know, schematical or, you know, more finer technique aspect of it. Okay. Um, and then kind of like the last little thing I got for you, when you were evaluating this and like I said, you were looking at it, how much did you look at scheme and then how much, and then when you did look at scheme, how did you, okay, if this needs change, where did you look to change it or where did you gather that information on how to change, switch schemes? So I think that's, you got you to gotta put some deep thought into any time. I think any time you're going to change schemes, not that you want to be stubborn by any stretch of the imagination. Like you said, you always be, you need to be willing to grow and evolve. Um, but at the same time, I, I think, you know, in this day and age, you also need to be careful to not, you know, change on, you know, every year, wherever you fell short, you feel like you need to change completely. And I'll be honest with you. A lot of times schematically, we didn't change. Uh, I just wanted, I said, we got to get better. I, I, you know, whether it be, you know, we looked at a lot of schemes and we felt like that was the best one. Um, or we just felt like, you know, we could do better at executing the scheme. But what I, I, I think you got to be careful of, um, whether it's offense, whether it's defense, or whether it's special teams is, you know, everything looks great on paper and you should be, you know, learning and, and trying to find new ideas constantly. But at the same time, um, you also need to, you need to rep it and you need to get really good at what you're doing. And if you're changing your scheme on a week to week basis, cause you didn't get the block that you wanted, or, you know, you're not having a super dynamic return that you were hoping for, you know, I think it, it'll affect the speed at which the kids play because when you put in a new scheme, you need to allot some time to, to being able to rep that in practice. So, yeah. And then uh, actually the one last little curious question is how much time did you have when you were in Florida in terms of practice time, actual on the field time on any given well, our, day? Okay. Yeah. So our, our coach was a believer in special teams, of course. Uh, and he did a phenomenal job of giving us time. So every single day we had a, a, a meeting as soon as school ended, we jump in a meeting with special teams where maybe it's five clips, maybe it's 10 clips. It might be a, you know, a quote on the wall. And then I, you know, talk about how it applies to special teams. Uh, but they were getting it in the classroom, you know, at one way or another, uh, briefly every single day. And then from a, a practice standpoint, we started every single day with special teams. I know guys, uh, go back and forth on that for me. You know, I think getting those, uh, 20 minutes in at the very start of practice to hammer down special teams, I think is, was huge for us, uh, because it, their, their minds are clear, they're focused. There's, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, stuff that's been thrown at them yet. And you can be really fast, really efficient with those special teams when they're fresh, um, and get a lot done in those first 20 minutes. So we'd stretch 
And then we get 20 minutes of special teams where, you know, we work 10 minutes of Indy, whatever that unit was going to be. And then we go out, we rep it on, on air, and then we rep it against looks as well. So big thing was, was, you know, we want to make sure that whatever that time allotment was, there wasn't a second going by where we weren't getting something out of it. So if the scout team's getting ready, you got a coach who's getting the scout look ready, you need to be getting reps on air. You might not, you know, you don't need to run the kickoff down 50, 60 yards every rep, but if there, if there's a way for them to, you know, time up how they're getting off the, off the, uh, off the kick, and that's time you need to be able to take advantage of it. And then the one thing I think we did well, uh, and I think it really helped us was periodically throughout team, um, our head coach, we have it planned in where, you know, you're calling out the punt team, you're calling out the punt return team, you're calling out kickoff or you're calling off kickoff, kickoff return, and they're just getting set. Because you know how it is when, you know, when once contact's made in the game, you know, it, sometimes guys will uh, get a little forgetful, and the last thing you want to be doing is chasing down guys. And if you're chasing them down in practice, there's a good chance you're going to be chasing them down in a game. So if you can square that away – um, in practice, I think that's really important to do. So, okay. Well, coaches um, that are listening or watching, uh, please uh, look at the bio. Uh, will be his contact information, his Twitter, and so forth. How to get a hold of coach? Uh, reach out to him if you have any questions. Not not just off what we saw today, but off anything else. Like I said, he also coaches receivers at Keystone, um, and then he probably you can probably reach out to him for any other special teams information as well. Um, again, that, that, all that information will be in the bio. Uh, we thank coaches for listening, and we will see you next time for another episode of the uh, Kick and Cover podcast.